Children's Church, you are dismissed. Amen. I enjoy seeing all of these kids. I hate that they disappear, but I know they're going to a good place. They're going to receive the same word that's going to be given in uh, big church tonight. Not a watered down word, but the life-changing, uncompromised truth of God's word. Amen. We're blessed. We are blessed. Uh, and, and sometimes the enemy, well not sometimes, all the time the enemy is crafty and he's subtle and he gets our eyes off of where they should be and he makes us uh, focus on things that we don't need to be focusing on. But tonight we need to refocus and we need to realize that we are blessed in Christ Jesus. That no weapon formed against us is going to prosper. Amen. We are blessed in him. Tonight continuing on in the book of Mark. Uh, where Jason asked me, are you going to preach from Luke tonight? Are you going to just, I was like, no, I'm continuing on in Mark. So uh, Mark chapter 10, we're going to be in verses 35 through 45. Uh, with the help of the Lord, we'll cover all of this. If not, it's okay. We'll come back next week. But if you're there, say amen. amen. I'm going to go ahead and start reading. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that you should do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would you that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left hand, in your glory. But Jesus said unto them, You know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, You shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall you be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him. And said unto them, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Let me remind you that last week we ended with Jesus warning his disciples of what was about to take place. He would be delivered uh, to the chief priest and to the scribes. They would mock him. They would spit upon him and kill him. But on the third day, he's going to rise again. He had just told them of this, of, of what they were going to. The, if you remember last week, we talked about Jesus going out ahead of the 12 disciples and taking heart and realizing that no matter what we enter into, no matter what we uh, find ourselves in the midst of, he has already gone before us. He's already been there. He's already made a way for us to come through, to make it to the other side. 
He never leaves us. He'll never forsake us. He always goes before us. But these very words were just uttered by our Lord and Savior. And then comes James and John asking for, looking for, desiring the crown without ever going to the cross. And that's the title for my message tonight, The Crown Without the Cross. In fact, when you read this account in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, you read that it was their mother um, that actually went to Jesus asking for her sons to be able to set one on his right hand and one on his left. You know, let's keep it all in the family type deal is what she was insinuating because their mom was Mary's sister making them Jesus' cousins. And so they thought of all people, because, you know, uh, up until now, it's been Peter, James, and John. But we see here, it's just James and John. So even Peter got kicked to the curb with this deal that was trying to be made because he wasn't family. This right here, and as you go on to, to read, as we read the portion of Scripture tonight, this totally debunks the myth of being able to make it into heaven because of your family. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how good your family members are, how godly, how much they love the Lord. Praise God for it. But if you yourself do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not going to make it. You're not going to be there, plain and simple. Jesus was going to the cross while they had their thoughts centered on self-advancement in the kingdom, right? Now, I'm sure they were uh, basing their request on what was promised to them in Matthew 19 and 28. Matthew 19 and 28 tells us, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. But you see, that wasn't enough for James and John. They wanted more. It wasn't good of them just uh, good enough for them just to have the promise to sit upon the throne of the 12 tribes. They wanted the highest position that they could get, and that was for one of them to be on the right and one of them to be on the left. The right hand would be the second rank in command. The left hand would be the third rank in command. They wanted the authority. They wanted the power. They wanted the... the uh, just the, I can't think of the word, clout. That's a good word. That wasn't the word I was thinking of. But just the weightiness that they thought in their minds that that would carry them being there, right? That's what they were thinking. Again, they wanted the crown without going to the cross. Uh, they were asking for what would be given to them uh, in that request, but still not fully realizing the weight of it. So Jesus didn't rebuke them for asking. He didn't. He didn't rebuke them at all. But yet again, they didn't understand the Lord's timing because they still thought, oh, the glory's coming, his kingdom's coming right now. Remember, they are still trying to convince him, you don't have to go to the cross. 
You don't have to die. You're the Messiah. You're our king. You're our conqueror. You're our leader. Our leader's not weak. He's strong. And they viewed the cross. They viewed death as a, a sign of weakness. So they didn't understand the timing and the matter in which things had to happen. Their request reveals some things to us. First and foremost, uh, it reveals to us their surface understanding of what it means to follow Jesus and to be his disciple. Uh, you know, I think one of the gravest injustices that a pastor or preacher or evangelist could, could do to a, an individual is to paint the picture that following the Lord is all roses and cupcakes. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a golden road. It's the yellow brick road. It's wonderful. It's once you get saved, all your problems go away. And it's the complete opposite. <laughs> once you begin to live for the Lord, you have to realize that you're going against the grain. You're paddling your canoe upstream. <laughs> you're not going with the flow anymore. It's not going to be easy. He never promised it would be easy, but he promised he would be with us always. He promised he would see us through. He promised he would never put more on us than we can bear. And I heard an illustration actually this morning um, from Les Feldick, and I, I love watching him. He comes on um, at 7 o'clock on ION television. We don't have cable, <laughs> so ION is our number one channel. But he gave the illustration of a Christian being in a canoe and paddling upstream. And, and once you take your paddle out of the water, what happens? Zoop, that canoe turns around and redirects your course, meaning we've got to keep our eyes on the prize. We've got to keep our paddle in the water. And we've got to keep going on with Jesus. We can't pull our paddle in the boat because as soon as we do, as soon as we give in, as soon as we give, you know, just the, the smallest little place for the enemy, he will turn our canoe around and get us heading in a direction that we never dreamed we would be heading in. We've got to keep on keeping on. We've got to keep our paddle in the water. And I loved that illustration. So again, they wanted him to go to the cross to, uh, to receive the crown without going to the cross. I came across a story of a rice farmer, and I love this, and it was a, talking about sacrifice and exactly what this portion of Scripture tells us, that in order to be first, you've got to be last. But the story goes like this, that a rice farmer from his hilltop farm felt an earthquake, and he looked down below uh, and saw the ocean moving, and he knew a tidal wave was coming, and in the valley below he saw his neighbors working in their fields, and they would soon be flooded, and they were going to have to run quickly up the hill to where he was, or they would all die. And all of his rice was in a barn, and it was dry, very dry. So what did he do? He lit a torch, and he set fire to his barn, and he knew as soon as the people down below saw the fire, they would immediately start running, to the top of the hill, he saved, and this is a true story, he saved an entire village by burning up everything that he had, sacrificing everything that he had. Now, we don't find too many people like the farmer in today's world. See, his livelihood, everything that would make him, he could have taken uh, a moment and thought, wow, if all these people are wiped out, then I'm going to be the king. 
I'm, I'm going to have it all. I'm going to be it. I'm going to be the man. But no, rather than require, uh, desiring the first place position, he was willing to set everything on fire so that that entire village would be saved. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Most people do everything they can to better themselves and think nothing of people they step on uh, to climb up to the, the top of the ladder, so to speak. We need to be like that farmer willing to, to sacrifice it all and pray, Lord, send the fire. Consume me. Set me on fire, Lord, so that others may see you burning through me. People are drawn to fires. We know that to be true when we set that little house on fire. That's where we were. We had a whole parking lot of people out there just wanting to watch the building burn. And that should be our desire. Lord, set us on fire so others will come and see you burn in us, right? So that was the first thing, that they had a very shallow understanding. It was all about what I'm going to gain. Remember last week, that was the question, what am I going to get out of following you, Lord? What am I going to get out of? I've given up everything, Lord, to follow you, so what's my cut of the deal? They're still there, even though Jesus had just said, I'm going to go to the cross. They're going to kill me. They're going to mock me. They're going to spit upon me. And they still are just concerned about their advancement and what they're going to get out of things. The second thing we see is their inflated, prideful opinion of their own importance. They thought they were somebody. And you see, unfortunately, that's something that those who are called to lead are especially susceptible to. Sometimes ministers of the gospel or even in secular jobs, you think, oh, well, I'm so important. Nothing can happen to me. Nothing can touch me. I'm, I'm it, right? If something happens to me, everything's going to fall apart. I want to tell you that is the worst thing a leader could ever do is to make themselves so important that if something were to happen to them, that everything would stop. A true leader, a great leader, ensures that if the Lord takes me out, this thing's going to keep running. Because it's not about us. It's not about me. It's about discipling others. It's about growing others, bringing others in, teaching them, training them to keep on going because I'm not going to live forever. You know, I mean, we should be training those behind us, those younger than us. So that if the Lord calls us out of here, the church don't have to close. It's going to keep on keeping on. We can't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We all know that if pride is not dealt with and dealt with quickly, it will cause great destruction within the body of Christ. Proverbs 16 and 18 says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And I love what the expositors notes. It says, pride is the foundational cause of man's lost condition. It is the principal sin of self-righteousness. And it was such that nailed Christ to the cross. Think about it. That's exactly what the Pharisees and the scribes, that was their chief sin. It was pride that they couldn't be wrong. They had to be right. And they, they took it so far to, to kill the very one who came to save them. That's pride at its greatest, and that's always been the greatest sin 
uh, on the face of the earth, the foundational sin. You see James, John, Peter, or any of the disciples for that matter never did grasp the idea that their leader, the Lord Jesus Christ, was truly headed to Calvary's cross. We talked about it last week. That was his mission. It always had been his mission before the foundations of the earth were laid. It was in the mind of God that his one and only son would come to save and to redeem mankind. It's always been that way. All they could see was the crown. They wanted the glory without the pain. They wanted the reward without having to pay the price. And again, they wanted the crown without the cross, much like the church today. Lord, we just want what you can give us, but we want it on our terms. We want it our way. We want it when we want it. And, and Holy Spirit, don't even think about coming and interrupting our service because we've got a plan. We've got a program. And I don't say that uh, happily. It breaks my heart to see what the majority of the church world has come to. When all along, all we've ever been called to do is just to follow him. Just to follow him and and lift up his name. That others may be drawn to him, not to us. That's been, oh, our prayer since we've been here. Lord, we want to lift you up high that you'll draw all men nigh unto yourself. Lord, don't ever make it about us. And Lord, if it ever becomes about us, Knock our legs out from under us. Do whatever you got to do, Lord, because it's only about you. We talked about that when we stepped away from the church that we were serving in and we started doing church out of our home. I said, what if we start drinking Kool-Aid? What if we, you know, because when you read about these cults and these things that started off right, Oh gosh, I don't want to do that. I don't want that to happen to us. Lord, protect us. Because it happens. It happens quickly. And subtly all at the same time. Because the enemy is deceitful. He's crafty. He knows what he's doing. And so we have to be on guard at all times. We have to constantly be praying. Lord, renew our mind. Lord, renew our mind. Give us your mind. Let your mind be in us, Lord. Lead us and guide us, Holy Spirit. Don't let us run ahead or lag behind, Lord, but let us be found in the center of your will, Lord. And God, if we step out of the will that you have for us, Lord, do whatever you got to do to get us back in. And there's been times that he's done that and praise the Lord. That shows us that he loves us, that he cares for us. But we see here pride rising up in the disciples. Lord, we've been with you. We followed you. We've given up everything, Lord. So who, who's it going to be? Who's going to be on your right hand and your left hand, Lord? Who's going to be the, the chief uh, among the disciples, Lord? Well, we see as we ran on, it doesn't go over too well with the other disciples, with the other ten. They kind of got angry. Adam, in verses 38 through 40, we hear Jesus' response to their demand. And as always, Jesus is gentle but firm. He has that way about him, right? He's gracious but direct in his response. He basically is telling them that they really have no idea what they're asking for. 
They have no idea what they're asking for. And I started thinking about that before, especially when I was young in the Lord. And I would ask the Lord for all kinds of things. You know, and that was a good thing. It wasn't a bad thing, but I really didn't know what I was asking him for. And I think back now, Lord, if you had given me all that I'd asked for 20 years ago, oh, Lord, who knows what would have happened. He did. That's why he didn't give it to me. Right? I just thought if I sang a song long enough that it was just going to come to pass. I was asking for the nations. And I'm still asking for the nations. And when he's ready, they'll come. And they have been coming, little by little. Here a little, there a little. That's how the Lord is adding. But in my mind, I just wanted it to happen. You know, not realizing the weight. I say it all the time. Jason and I served in every capacity within the church with the exception of senior pastor until we came here. And we thought we were ready. We thought we knew what being a senior pastor was. Because trust me, we had sat back and said, well, I would have done that, and I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have done that. And boy, when you step into that position, whoo, you're thinking, Lord, are you sure? (laughs) I don't know, Lord. But, But that's how he works, that's how he operates, he prepares us. He will teach us if we will allow him to. And that's what we see happening with these disciples over and over again. The Lord took every opportunity, each and every opportunity, to pull the twelve away, to sit down, to get in their faces lovingly and teach them. But yet over and over again, they failed to receive the teaching. They, they failed to understand. They just couldn't quite get it through their heads. You see, his response, in his response, he compares the suffering that's about to come to the drinking of a cup and experiencing a baptism. And these are two very powerful metaphors that Jesus is using. When he uses the word cup, he's talking about a life experience. And when he uses the word baptism, he's referring to being submerged or immersed in that experience. You see, when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he was submerged in the wrath of God. We can't even begin to fathom what he felt while he was on the cross. Because the wrath of God was poured out upon him. And here's James and John. Oh yeah, we can, we can handle it. We can drink from that cup. Sure. Come on, bring it on. That's basically what they were saying. They were so prideful and so ignorant and not understanding what they were truly asking for. Jesus is saying, I'm about to be immersed in an experience that you cannot imagine. And are you able to go through it too? Again, they tell them, uh, yes, we can. And because they answered so fast, that should tell us they had no idea what they were talking about. They did not truly understand Jesus is on his way to Calvary where he will bear the sins of his people on a Roman cross. Jesus is about to experience the undiluted wrath of an almighty God against sin and sinners. Jesus is about to die at the hands of the heavenly father. And yet they're 
concerned about a crown, concerned about their position, their title. Jesus tells them in verses 39 through 40 that they will experience his anguish to a degree. They will die for their faith. You see, uh, all of them died a martyr's death except for John, and he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation and greatly persecuted for his faith. These men would walk the same road that Jesus walked, but they could never endure what he was about to suffer. Only Christ could go to the cross. He was the only one. The only one, as good as we think we are, as holy and righteous, there's not one that could endure what Jesus endured. Jesus tells them that positions in the kingdom would not be given out based on selfish ambition, right? But according to the will of the Lord, and the same is true in this life, what a person receives in this world in terms of blessings, usefulness, and ministry are all determined by the will of God. John 3, verses 25 through 30 tell us of this. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given from heaven. Verse 28, you yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. You see, the Lord is never going to bless selfish motives. Never. That's why my heart would leap for joy when we lived oh, back in Dallas and uh, we would flip through. I don't know if we had cable at that time, but anyway, we'd come across Channel 12. And these little churches, these tiny little churches, and these old country preachers, singers with these little mandolins or banjos and to some oh they wouldn't want to have anything to do with it turn up their nose supposedly christians but i would love it i would just sit there and watch them and rejoice with them why because their heart was right you could flip through a couple more channels and you would see white pianos and waterfalls and light shows and i'd be I didn't feel anything. But to the ones who maybe had one tooth in their head up there singing for the Lord, blessed me more than anything else. Why? Because their heart was right. And that's what the Lord sees and that's what the Lord blesses. It's not about the show. It's not about anything other than our heart for the Lord. That's what it's about. That's what he blesses. That's what he esteems and lifts up. Everything else he has no part of. I mean, he, he has nothing to do with it. 
So we have to ask ourselves, where's our heart tonight? Why, why are we doing what we're doing? What are our motives? What are we attempting to, to gain out of it? And if it's anything other than souls for the Lord, we better stop. We might as well just shut the doors. Because we should be about our Father's business. And He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's His business, so that's to be our business. That and that alone. You see, we see preachers all the time that try to make names for themselves and they jockey for positions and, oh, well, if I could just preach at that church, then these doors would open and then everything would fall into place. No, that's not how the Lord works. He will make a way for you, but you can't open that door yourself. (laughs) You'll kill yourself trying. See, blessed is the person who serves where they are and allows the Lord to determine the course of their lives and the extent of their ministry. We have people all the time call here, Oh, preacher, can I come preach your revival? Um, no. <laughs> I don't think so. But if the Lord lays it on my heart, I'll preach out to you. It's not about preaching at the next greatest church. That's the Lord's work. That's His business. Not ours. Sadly, James and John failed to see that the pathway to glory is always the pathway of suffering. Before the crown, there is a cup of suffering. Before the blessings that flow, there is a baptism that overwhelms and drowns. It's got to get rid of all selfish ambition. All flesh has to die. And that is a daily work that is a daily thing because if we don't allow the holy spirit to crucify our flesh daily oh it will rear its ugly head and take control trust me just scroll through facebook and read post it'll get your blood boiling before you realize it and then you're like lord is it really worth it is it really worth it is this really going to bring you glory and honor is this going to Bring someone to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if it doesn't, then we just need to keep on scrolling. Keep on scrolling. Verses 41 through 44, when the rest of the disciples heard about James and John, what they were up to, they became angry. Why? Because they were probably trying to promote themselves too. But they realized that James and John did have one thing that they didn't, and that was a family connection. And that angered them, I'm sure. They could have also been angry because James and John uh, beat them to the, to the draw and asked Jesus first. Whatever the reason, they were upset. And I want you to understand this tonight. We've got to get this. Christians need to understand this, that their reaction to what James and John did was no better than the request that James and John made. See, a lot of times people say things and they are wrong. They are totally against scripture. They are undoctrinal. You know, you name it, it's just wrong. But our reaction and our response and our rebuke to their wrongness had better be right. It had better be led by the Holy Spirit because if not, we are just as wrong. We are just as wrong. That's why we have to allow the Holy Spirit to take complete control of us because so many times we are so quick to react 
And we react in the wrong way, just as the disciples did. The ten hear what James and John did, and they react by becoming angry. People don't always act like we think they should. And when they don't, it's easy to become offended with them. It's so easy to allow anger to creep into our hearts. It happens. It happens. People will offend us, and we will hold a grudge against them. We will put uh, on the front of righteousness while our hearts are full of unforgiveness. Let me just remind you that God cannot work in that kind of environment. And when there is a problem between the saints of God, it hinders the work of God in the church. Plain and simple. It does. That's why we have to be quick to forgive. Even if we were right and they were wrong, the Lord cannot work in unforgiveness. And maybe things aren't happening in your life right now the way you think they should. Ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart, to show you if you have places in your heart of unforgiveness. Could be with a family member, a friend, a coworker, who knows? Could be with me or with Jason. But it's not worth it because we're stopping the work of God. Time is too short to allow anger and bitterness to stop what the Lord desires to do. We've got to become real with ourselves first and then allow the Lord to humble us to take away that pride that's been keeping us for asking for forgiveness or for extending forgiveness because we're so self-righteous and we think, well, if they expect an apology from me, they'll be waiting a long time. That's bad. That's right. We shouldn't be like that. Christians should be, should be the quickest people to, to offer forgiveness. Oh, I'm sorry. That was my fault. Please forgive me, even if it wasn't. Even if it wasn't, that's what we should be about. That's what we should be doing. See, God, God's will is for us to walk in absolute forgiveness, Ephesians 4 and 32. He's going to come up here. Here we go. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. When you begin to think on what you have been forgiven, Wow. When, when I, every morning when I'm praying the Lord's Prayer, when I say, Lord, forgive me, Lord. Deliver me, Lord. Uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, Lord, because you've forgiven me of such a great debt, Lord, that I don't even deserve. Lord, let me be quick to offer forgiveness to others. No matter what it is, Lord, I want to be quick to offer forgiveness just simply because you've forgiven me of so much and you didn't have to. I didn't deserve it, but you did it anyway. That has to be our mind. That always has to be our mind. There are people maybe in here tonight that's hindering the work of God in the church because you don't forgive each other. I don't know. Maybe you're watching by Facebook, by the Internet, whatever it may be, you've had hard feelings over things that have happened maybe 5, 10, even 20 years ago. You need to get it right. Because harboring unforgiveness is killing you, not the other person. That's what unforgiveness is. Unforgiveness is you drinking poison and waiting on the other person to die. 
It's not going to happen. We have to forgive each other because the Lord has forgiven us. When there's that kind of situation, it tells me that we've allowed our relationship to become too fragile. If our relationships can be broken by misunderstandings, then they're too fragile. See, the Lord said that our relationships are marked by love. John 13 and 35 it says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love one to another. Now, let me be quick to, to add this into it. Love is not just ooey gooey, oh, I love you. You're wonderful. Love is telling the truth at all costs, the truth of the gospel, presenting the gospel even when they don't want to hear it. <laughs> That's how people know that we are his disciple, that we love people enough to give them Jesus, to give them the truth of the word of God. Jason says it all the time. I would rather offend somebody to he uh, heaven than love somebody to hell. We got to be that way. That's true love. Loving people enough to tell them the truth. I'm supposed to love you with an unconditional, unfailing, unquestioning love. When I do, I can forgive you. And walk with you as my brother or my sister in the Lord. But when I do not love you like I should, I'll hold the past over your head. I mean, I've heard people say, well, you did this to me when I was... I don't even remember. But I'm sorry. I mean, 30 years ago. I'm sorry. I mean, we've got to be like that. Just say I'm sorry. It's the hardest thing for a kid to do. You know it's that sin nature. I mean, you remember when your kids were little. Just tell them I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, my kids would rather take a beating than tell somebody they're sorry. I'm sorry. It's just two words. You know, I promise. It's not going to be hard because he bit everybody in the entire church. Just go tell them you're sorry. Oh, it would be an hour-long battle. He would finally... Go apologize that he bit them. Anyway, Jesus doesn't allow their anger to simmer. He addresses the issue, right? He lets them know that their high seat seeking is the way of the world. Jesus always teaches the way to greatness is the path of suffering, the path of servanthood. How do we know that? Because of how he ended this portion of scripture in verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Who do we think we are? Who do we think we are when we think we are too good? I mean, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. That's what he went on to do. And for time's sake, I'm, I'm not going to be able to go through all of that. But that's what he did. He showed his disciples the way of greatness. He got the towel out and tied it around his waist and got down on his knees. And he washed his disciples' feet, showing that he is a servant to all men. He's no better than any of them. And that's how we should be. I'm not saying we're going to have foot washing. I'm not saying that. I knew Jason would say, thank you, Lord. But I'm saying we can never think more highly of ourselves than we do our brother and sister. That's what turns people off to church anyway. 
oh, well, they just think they're so-and-so, so-and-so, right? No. If it weren't for the grace and mercy of the Lord, I don't know where I'd be. I don't know what I'd be doing. I know it wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be right. But he can even take somebody like me. And when we allow him to do the work, it can be great. I mean, we could go around this room tonight and everyone could share where the Lord's brought them from. But the bottom line is, it's all the same. He's brought us from darkness to light. We were all lost, but now we're found in Christ Jesus. He's the only one who could ever do that, who could ever make a way when there had seemed to be no way. Far too many people want to be recognized for the things that they do. They want their pat on the back. They want to hear thank you and good job. They want... Uh, They do what they do because they want to be recognized, but Matthew 6 and 5 tells us that they'll have their reward. That's it right there. Their thank you here on earth that says, and he could there do no mighty work save that he had laid his hands upon a few sick folk. uh, No, Matthew 6. That's Mark 6 and 5. Get ready to say, wait a minute. That's not right. If you can't get it, that's fine. I Got Connie on the spot back here. Oh, there it is. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of their streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. What's their reward? Whatever man can offer. And that pales in comparison to what the Lord has for us to the treasures that we have stored up in heaven, to what he's made way for us in heaven, what's awaiting us in glory. You see, Jesus uses the coming of the cross as the ultimate example of sacrificial service. He sets the pattern of all his people and how they're commanded to follow. The word in verse uh, 45 There's a word even there, and it reminds us of who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. And if anyone who ever walked on this earth should have been served, it should have been Jesus. But even he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. What are we doing tonight with Jesus? What are we doing tonight with with what the Lord has blessed us with, what he's given us? He's given each and every one of us so much. You may be in this room tonight and you're thinking, well, I don't know. I don't have a ministry. You've been given a testimony. Like I just said, you've been given a testimony. You've been brought out of darkness into light and you don't know what your testimony, sharing your faith, could do for someone else. You've been given life when you deserve death. And that and that alone is worth shouting from the rooftops to let others know there's hope and his name is Jesus. We've got to get our eyes off of ourselves. It's so easy to, to just consume us, especially in what we've been going through during these last few months. But let's look at this world around us. This world is in great need. This world is, world is dying. This world is, I mean, people are turning on each other quicker than... Lightning, I mean, it's just fast. It just happens. People that you thought, you were like, 
Oh, yeah, and then the next minute, wow. We have got to be about our Father's business. We've got to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The time for worrying about, well, who's going to recognize me and who's going to see me and where am I going to get my pat on the back? Those days are over. Time is too short. We've got to be about our Father's business. If you will, stand to your feet. Noah, if you want to come, I don't know if you have anything. If you just want to play something soft, that's fun. But I don't know about you, but this week especially, I have, oh, I have felt such a heaviness, just the weight of the world and all that's going on, and it just breaks my heart that people are so blinded. And where's the church? Where are we? What are we doing? What are we saying? What are we speaking? How are we extending the hands of Jesus to those around us? We don't have to look far to reach out and find somebody who is completely controlled by fear, tormented in their minds, you don't have to, to search too, too long or too hard to find somebody who has no hope, who is completely hopeless. But we have the answer. We have what they need. But maybe tonight you're a believer, but you need to be strengthened. Well, you're in the right place because that's why the Lord instituted the church that we could come together, that we could bear one another's burdens, that we could edify each other, encourage each other, pray for one another. I don't know about you, but I never turn down prayer. Here am I, Lord, standing in need. Each and every one of us tonight, we have needs on our hearts, and I just want for a moment just to give you the opportunity to respond, to come, to kneel where you are, and just allow the Lord to touch you and minister to you in a way that He longs and desires and has designed this day to be, that, he, that you and Him could have this moment together. So won't you respond as the music plays?
Lord, tonight we thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness, for your grace and your mercy, Lord, upon each and every one of our lives. Lord, forgive us, Lord, for failing to recognize you, Lord, as you've parted the sea time after time, Lord. You've made ways in the wilderness, Lord. And what makes us think, Lord, that you're going to stop now, Lord? God, continue to allow us to run to you, Lord, to get our eyes off of ourselves and, and what's going on in our lives, Lord. But God, to keep our eyes focused on you as your face was set as flint, Lord, as the word says to Calvary's cross, Lord. Let us be determined. Let us be committed and devoted, Lord, that no matter what, we're going to continue to follow hard after you, Lord. No matter the trial, no matter the circumstance, Lord, let our faith remain anchored, Lord, in your finished work. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I failed to mention um, that Mary Nicole is going to be having surgery next week on the 20th on her foot. So please keep Mary um, in your prayers. I apologize for not having that on there. I just forgot. Um, don't forget baptism this Sunday during the PM service. If you would like to be baptized, come see me so we can get your name on the list. Um, and I think that's it. We'll see you all Sunday. Love you. Have a good rest of the week.